Well, every summer I visit uh, my mentor who lives in the front range of the Rockies and the views from his house, as you might imagine, are spectacular. Uh, This photo is one of my favorite views. Uh, You're sitting in his living room on the couch. Uh, You're looking out the living room window westward. And you can see there's majestic mountains in the background. There's this wonderful front range slope. Uh, But this picture is taken in the fall. And as you can see right there in the center is this really lovely, wonderful grove of aspen trees. And I've always been fascinated by aspens, not only because of their beauty, particularly in the fall, but because aspens never grow alone. They always grow together. The largest biological organism, in fact, in the world is not an elephant or a whale, as we might imagine, but is a grove of aspen trees in Utah. The Pando network of aspens covers 106 acres in Utah's Fish Lake National Forest. These trees can grow up to 100 100 feet tall and live upwards of 150 years. As we can see, even in this picture, they grow individually, but beneath the surface, they're interconnected by a single root. What a wonderful image to end this series that we've called Rooted. And over the past six weeks, we've taken an in-depth look at who we are as a church, what God has called us to. We've been looking at our mission, our vision, our four core values. And this morning, we come to our last core value, extended family. And the Aspen is a wonderful picture of the church. Because we as the church, on the surface, are individuals, often very different from one another. But below the surface, we're all interconnected by a single root, the gospel of grace. Paul says this specifically in Galatians chapter three. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves in Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. We're all very different. Have different skills, personalities, passions, gift sets. And yet, in our baptism, we are one in Christ Jesus. And I think this is significant because of the day and age that we live in, where we experience so much division, even so much uprooting over these past several years. People have moved neighborhoods, cities, states, churches, even countries. It's like a massive cultural game of musical chairs We're all kind of asking, when's the music going to stop? These shifts have also profoundly impacted our relationship and our view of God and his church. In those quiet moments during the pandemic, we were probably all to varying degrees asking this question, do we really need the community of the church to live a vibrant life with God? Author Jeremy Lindman, in a book entitled, Why Do We Feel Lonely at Church?, points out that there's several reasons why people are deconstructing, deconverting, or leading the church altogether. But the underlying reason, in his opinion, is a lack of belonging. People don't feel connected, known, loved, so they leave. So this morning I want to spend a few minutes on this core value here at Oaks Parish 
that we feel is the antidote, extended family. And I want us to see how our own individual story is being transformed by the story of what the church is meant to be. So to get into this story, we'll go all the way back to the beginning of the story, the story of Scripture. Scholar Michael Reeves in his book, Delighting in the Trinity, ponders the mindset of God at creation like a dating profile. Single God, non-smoker, seeks attractive creation with good sense of humor. And he goes on, imagine for a moment that you are God. I'm sure you've done it before. Now think, would you in your divine wisdom and power ever want to create a universe? And if so, why? Because you feel lonely want some friends because you like being pampered and want some servants it is one of the most profound questions to ask if there is a god why is there anything else why the universe why us and why might god decide to have a creation and so the story begins in genesis chapter 1 specifically verse 26 let us Make humankind in our image according to our likeness. No other religion in the world starts off this way. God presents himself as an extended family. It's we, it's our. And we later found out as we follow this story through the Bible, the we is the holy family, the holy trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God Yet three persons equal in power and glory. But here's the real kicker for us. God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. We weren't made to be alone. We were made to be together. We were made to be an extended family like God. So this explains why after creating Adam... God saw his loneliness, how he was alone, and said, that's not good. And so he created Eve to be his wife and the mother of all humanity, to be the very first extended family. Adam and Eve shared in this divine communion with Father, Son, and Spirit until they decided to break relationship, to move out of the house, so to speak. The effect was akin to the, something to the, uh, akin to the impact of a spouse having an affair. It broke the bonds of love. It shattered the reality of home. And it created by necessity new boundaries. In spite of Adam and Eve's choice, God in his grace said, I will redeem you. I will take you back to myself. I will make you my family again. And so the plan begins to unfold. The promise begins to reach fruition. Through Abraham, God promised to redeem the world. How did he do it? Through Abraham's family. In the life of Moses, he told Moses as an individual, as well as Israel, you don't belong in the family of Pharaoh. You belong with me. And so Yahweh rescues Israel from captivity. He draws them savingly unto himself at Sinai. And he makes his dwelling among them as a loving father. Through David, God's family was finally able to settle down. No longer renters, 
They bought their first house, so to speak, a permanent residence in the promised land, the city of Jerusalem, the building of the temple where God's presence would dwell for many years under Solomon. And then other kings came along. And Israel's monarchy was kind of like the teenage years. They thought they knew everything. And despite God's warnings time and again, Israel chose exile from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Just as Adam and Eve chose exile. And exile is kind of like going to college as you make your way into adulthood. You get there and you find out the bed in the dorm room isn't as cozy as you thought it would be. You begin to realize that you don't know as much as you thought you did. Life on your own cultivates an appreciation for family, even a longing for home. So how does this gracious, loving father respond? He responds in a familiar way. He sends his son, Jesus. So coincidence, Jesus was born into a biological family and a family of faith. So coincidence that when Jesus decided to carry out his ministry, even though he was God, he never did it alone. He did it with a group of men and women who were his disciples, his extended family. And this Jesus, he was not only God's son, he was the perfect son. Not for his own righteous understanding, but because we couldn't be. And he was the perfect sibling to us giving up his life on the cross. And if you think about that moment, that moment where Jesus cried out to his heavenly father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was the first time in Jesus's whole existence from all eternity that he wasn't experiencing that deep and abiding communion with his forever family. He experienced sin's full alienating effect. And he did this willingly because he knew that his loneliness would mean our inclusion. Knowing the love of this divine family, we could guess that the father wouldn't just abandon his son to the grave. He had to have him back. So on the third day, the father sends the spirit to get the son back to bring him home. And that's really the triumphal picture of the resurrection. And yet that wasn't just for Jesus. It was for us. The resurrection was only the beginning of bringing back the sons and daughters of faith. Bringing us back home to Father, Son, and Spirit. So going back to Michael Reeves' dating profile. The reason why God created the universe and humanity is not because he was lonely. It's not because he needed servants It's because he wanted to share the love that had existed for all time between Father, Son, and Spirit. That love is so immense, so powerful, so pervasive, so indescribable, so ineffable, so massive, so spilling over that God could not help himself but share that love. So John in 1 John 4 He helps us understand how that story becomes real to us. And there's three particular highlights that I want to point out here. I mean, this passage, as we read it, is incredibly dense, worthy of our meditation. 
But let me give you three things that really make a difference in terms of our view of extended family. First, the point of the cross is not the cross. The point of the cross is not the cross. Sounds heretical. The cross is central to faith, yes. Without it, we have no hope, yes. But the cross was the means, not the end. Notice what John says here in verse nine. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God's love was revealed among us in this way, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's the means. Now here's the end. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. If our understanding of the gospel stops with the cross, we will view God like a traffic cop that pulls us over for speeding but decides to give us a warning instead of a citation. We might experience relief, a little gratitude that God let us off the hook but we don't fall in love with him. The purpose of the cross is so that we would fall in love with God and that we would know first his love for us. The purpose of the cross is like that long overdue conversation that addresses brokenness within the family and therefore brings about reconciliation and thriving relationships. The cross makes our life with God possible again. John says, if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected. That is, his love is made complete in us. That's the point of the cross is that we would experience that love of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Second, John tells us that we're able to join the Holy Family simply by confessing the family. Beginning in verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. As we have seen and do testify that the father has sent his son as the savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the son of God and they abide in God. So we have known and believed the love that God has for us. If you've ever wondered, how do I get into this family? How do I experience the love of the heavenly father? John gives us the answer. We simply respond to this invitation to become part of the family. And that invitation comes to us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit of God begins to nudge our heart, to to begin to ask us questions, that the Holy Spirit is beginning to draw us this unexplainable stirring of the soul that eventually gives way to belief. We embrace, we accept that invitation. And what do we begin to believe? It's a family confession. That the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God. Third, John draws to our attention that once we join the family, we join in with the family. That once we join the family, we join in with the family. Uh, The first year Amanda and I were married, 
uh, we spent Christmas at Amanda's parents' house. And one of their traditions, her mom was a really good cook. Uh, one of the traditions is that they would have all the family over midway through Christmas morning, and there would be this gigantic breakfast spread. Let me be clear about something. I'm from the South, so we're in Nashville. And when I say gigantic breakfast spread, I'm talking about eggs, biscuits, waffles, cinnamon rolls, bacon, sausage, the whole deal, all of this. And I thought, man, I've gotten into the right family. This is a tradition I can really make my own. This is incredible. Well, the Holy Family has its own traditions. And once we become a part of the Holy Family, we join in with what the Holy Family has been doing for years. And what has Father, Son, and Spirit, what have they been doing for all time? They have been perpetually loving one another. And here's what that means for us. John clarifies, first in verse 16, God is love. And those who abide in love abide in God and God abides in them. And then he concludes, the commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and their sisters also. One theologian pictured the holy family as this water wheel. You know, like a, a water a water wheel that existed like a grain mill. They have one of them outside Bob's Red Mill. You know, water and it spins around. That's a great picture of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This holy community where they've been pouring into one another and pouring out to one another over and over and over again. Pouring in and pouring out. Pouring in and pouring out. Love for all eternity. This is what the church was meant to be. This holy community where we pour into one another and we pour out for one another. So the summary picture that God gives or that John gives us of extended family is first the cross is the reconciling power that brings us home to God. Responding to the Holy Spirit with a family confession places us back into the Holy Family. And the church is the place where we live in the great tradition of love that has existed and characterized the Holy Family for all eternity. How does this make a difference in our lives? Particularly our life together in the church. Well, Jake Meter, a journalist for The Atlantic, recently wrote an article entitled The Misunderstood Reason Why Millions of Americans Stopped Going to Church. He's reflecting on these past several years. Meter says that contemporary America simply isn't set up to promote mutuality, care, or common life. Rather, it is designed to maximize individual accomplishment as defined by professional and financial success. And he says that the problem in front of us, and I'll get to that quote here in a moment, the problem in front of us is not that we have a healthy and sustainable society that doesn't have room for church. The problem is that many Americans have adopted a way of life that has left us lonely, anxious, and uncertain of how to live in community with other people. I wonder if you feel like that this morning. Lonely, anxious, 
not knowing exactly how to live in community with other people. I think because independence is such a deity in our city, our city more than any city in the United States struggles with this very reality. Loneliness, anxiousness, not understanding, uncertain of how to live in community with other people. So here's what Meter says. What can churches do in such a context? In theory, the Christian church could be an antidote to all of that. What is more needed in our time than a community marked by sincere love, sharing what they have from each according to their ability and to each according to their need, eating together regularly, generously serving neighbors, and living lives of quiet virtue and prayer? A healthy church can be a safety net in the harsh American economy by offering its members material assistance in times of need, meals after a baby is born. We've got a couple of opportunities for that right now. Money for rent after a layoff. Perhaps more important, it reminds people that their identity is not in their job or how much money they make. They are children of God, loved and protected and infinitely valuable. What a profound description of what we're meant to be and what can happen in the church. The extended family of the church reminds people that their identity is not in our job. It's not in how much money we make. We are children of God, loved and protected, infinitely valuable. In this sermon series, we've ended each time together with three questions. And the third question is this. You can find this on the postcard in your worship guide. How will you prioritize life together here at Oaks Parish? And I'm asking you that this morning. Not because we need to do a successful thing here. Not because we need to get a thing going or we need resources or anything like that. We're asking that because our presence to one another is critical to experience the love of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Four Loves, he reflects on this group of friends called the Inklings that he journeyed with for years. One of them, uh, over time, named Charles Williams, passed away. And Lewis reflects, In each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I'm not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all the facets. Now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Caroline joke. Far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. In this, friendship exhibits a glorious nearness by resemblance to heaven itself with a very multitude of the blessed, which no man can number, increases the fruition which each has of God. For every soul, seeing him in her own way, doubtless communicates that unique vision to all of the rest. We need one another in order to see and experience the fullness of God. The extended family of the church is therefore unlike any other community in civilization. Here in the church, God will pour into you 
and he will do it through one another. He will do it through worship. He will do it through friendship, meals when you're sick, meals when you have children, people who will walk with you in the greatest moments of celebration and the darkest of days. But know this, you are also made to pour out, to volunteer, to sacrifice your time during the week, to give up a morning or an evening for discipleship group, to give financially your tithes and offerings. And as we look to Christ together and we respond to his spirit's invitation, we're caught up in this pouring out and this pouring in, this pouring out and pouring in, this Trinitarian rhythm that has existed for all eternity. And the more life that we have with one another, the more we will have of God. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the triumph of winning us back into yourself. We thank you that we can become a part of your family as we respond to the Spirit's invitation. I pray maybe some of us need to do that here this morning. God, I pray for those of us who are evaluating what we're thinking about and and our status here this morning in the church. I pray that we would find this home, home with you. And we ask this in your name. Amen.